Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into the house of the Lord. Are there any greetings or announcements that we may have missed this morning? If not, I'll just quickly uh, recap a few things and um, add a couple things that were missed this morning. So the focus of this month's collection is Ghana, Africa. Area Sing is this evening in Richmond Hill at 7 p.m. in case that wasn't clear. So 7 p.m. tonight. Uh, Wednesday night, we originally announced it was going to be singing, but because we are having Good Friday services, we will cancel Wednesday night church because we'll be meeting here on Friday morning. So uh, Friday morning services will start at 10.30, but we will like, we'd like to have a breakfast here in the morning for, oh, on Sunday, I'm sorry. Friday, 10.30, leave it at that. Sunday, <laughs> there's a couple of changes uh, from what was originally announced. We would like to have a uh, uh, Easter morning breakfast here at church at eight o'clock in the morning uh, for those that would like to make it for that. The details will be coming by email. And Sunday morning, we will have two programs. We'll have the children. I understand it's a short program that they're going to be presenting. And then our adult choir will also sing following that. Um, as was announced uh, earlier as well, the baptism date is now set for the weekend of June 25th for our friend Sid. Uh, so please uh, mark the calendars for that as well. The elder meeting is also upcoming. That's April 14th, 15th. And so please uh, be in prayer for our elder brothers as they would meet to discuss the things of the church. And for those that are so inclined, there's a prayer uh, sign-up sheet or sign-up list uh, online um, that's uh, available for those who would like to uh, support that specifically in prayer. I believe I've got everything. Before we open God's word for a second time, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look to thee now, we can say with Peter, Lord, where, sh where shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. This life is so short. It passes so quickly by, and our effects like ripples disappear, and as the psalmist says, we fly away. And yet the things that are done for thee, Heavenly Father, are recorded in heavenly places and will be remembered and will be celebrated. So Heavenly Father, help us to focus on those things that will go on. Help us to remember, to, keep, to always keep eternity in view, to live for thee, because that is time well spent and those rewards will never be taken from us. Be with those that could not gather with us this afternoon. We're mindful of those, especially with uh, chronic conditions or uh, other issues, old age, uh, those who are uh, caring for loved ones and cannot be here. Be with them, dear Lord, and bless them, even though they could not attend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We heard a very inspiring message this morning uh, from Matthew's Gospel, and I'd like to continue reading in uh, Matthew, the 21st chapter. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. It's a lengthy chapter, and I would like to skip a few sections as we read it. 
So uh, I'll try to be clear. <clears throat> Matthew 21, beginning from the first verse. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea. Have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? I'd like to move ahead now to verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. I'd like to move ahead again. Verse 33, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, 
and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. I've read selections to the end of the chapter. As was alluded to this morning, this is what we refer to as Palm Sunday, taken, of course, from the branches that we read about that were spread in the street and waved in the air. This morning we heard about how God confounds our expectations. He takes what we expect and turns it on its head. And this is a pattern in Scripture. The ones that were least likely, perhaps, to be chosen were exactly the ones that God used. When he looked to free his people from Israel, he didn't find a spokesman that was going to rise up from the multitude there that had the necessary connections to make a rebellion against Egypt. He took the outsider, the one who had been raised in the privilege of Pharaoh's courts, and then spent 40 years on the backside of the desert tending sheep. That's the one that he brought back to bring his people out. David was the least likely of Jesse's sons, yet he was the one that God chose. Jacob, the supplanter, the second-born. Not the upright, straightforward Esau, who did what his father asked, but Jacob, the scheming little man that stuck close to the tents and wasn't beneath using the leverage of his brother's hunger to get what he wanted. A despicable man. God does things differently. And this was no different. The triumphal entry, a time that was charged, I think, with political sentiment, with power broking and backroom dealing, 
It all comes bubbling to the surface in the last week of Christ's life before his death and then resurrection. He begins his march on Jerusalem. He sends before him those to, uh, that are going to fulfill prophecy. Picks two disciples, tells them to go into the next village over. Get me that colt that's there. Because scripture has said that the king is going to come riding on a colt. And so it was. And the disciples, you can just guess what it must have been like for them. Their excitement growing. Maybe this is it. Of all the times that we've come to Jerusalem before, maybe this is really, the, this is really it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And it certainly looked like it. The signs were all there. The multitude acknowledging him, crying Hosanna to the son of David. Any Jew knew what that meant. The throne of David was the prize. The kingdom that would never end as God had promised David. The whole city was moved. I'm sure the Roman garrison there was on high alert. Nobody got to sleep in, in the barracks. Every able-bodied man, I'm sure, was up on top of those walls, keeping a sharp eye on what was going on in the, in the temple complex below. The, the fortress Antonia overlooked the temple mount, and they watched to see what each crowd was doing. Did anyone spot someone with a sword hidden under his tunic, perhaps? And maybe there were. There may have been those that snuck swords under their clothes, expecting at any moment now, Messiah is going to give the word. A real insurrection. Jesus begins at the temple. He starts by cleansing it. And I'm sure the disciples, as they watched, thought, this is perfect. This is perfect. This is exactly what Judas Maccabeus did. Clean the temple first, and then let's get rid of the Romans. Let's really clean house. And he does. He cleans the temple. But then he stops. Do you realize it would have only taken a word, perhaps, from Christ for a mob of Jewish rebels to surge up the steps to the fortress? At that time, I don't think the Roman garrison would have stood a chance. Up to a million people came in and out of the city during Passover. Emotions were running high. Really not all that different from today's Jerusalem, where riots and bloodshed are all too common. Just one word, Master, just one word. For those of you that are inclined to read, you may have read the fictional account of Ben-Hur where he plays the part of one of those that is going to train the Jews for rebellion and he leans into Christ and asks, just give the word, Master. Just give the word. We're ready. The tension, the excitement. And then he gives a parable.
he gives him the parable of the vineyard. The vineyard with the husbandman who had prepared everything that he could have done. Even a tower to keep watch. To make sure nobody steals from the vineyard when the grapes are getting ripe. But it's the ones that should have tended that vineyard that were to blame. And he asks that almost rhetorical question. What will he do when he returns? And I'm sure some said maybe with a glint in their eye, he's going to miserably destroy those ones. He's going to finish them off. He's going to set things right. Once and for all. And then he says, the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. And this is the Lord's doing. And then he adds something. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And I can just imagine in that charged atmosphere, disciple turning to disciple saying, hey, this is it. Remember what they called Judas Maccabeus? The hammer, the one who was going to fall on them. He's going to crush them. You know, psychologists tell us something interesting. When it comes to memory and the things that we remember, one of the, one of the strongest hooks for memory is emotion. And the stronger the emotion, the more we remember, the greater degree of, degree of clarity we remember. We remember exactly where we were. You know, for my parents' generation, uh, maybe the question is, where were you when you heard the news that JFK had been assassinated? And most people in their generation will be able to ta- tell you exactly where they were and what they were doing at that moment. For my generation, it was, where were you on 9-11 when you heard the news of the Twin Towers? That was a traumatic experience. And trauma has the ability of burning something into our minds. Now you understand, I think, why. When the gospel writers recorded this Passion Week, so much time is devoted to the account of that last week of Christ's life and what he said. A time of of probably giddy emotions and the absolute depths of despair, the trauma of having their master killed in front of their eyes, and knowing that they themselves had betrayed him. It says they all forsook him and fled. But this was all in God's plan. All of this was meant as a way, I believe, of firmly etching these moments these parables, these accounts into their minds for us, for us, that we would benefit. When Christ was cleansing the temple, it says the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching which would have been pretty rude, I think, to interrupt mid-lesson and question his authority. In another place in Luke's Gospel, I, I looked it up, and it says he was in the temple 
healing. The blind, the lame, restored to sight and health by the touch or word of this man. And there were children running back and forth in the temple, probably not unlike our sanctuary sometimes, but singing Hosanna to the son of David. And of course, the Pharisees would have nothing to do with that. Master, shh. Now, of course, there should be order as well. But if the Son of God is there, those children had a special role. And Christ himself said, look, if you tell them to be quiet, the stones are going to cry out. That was their moment. They wanted to know by what authority. And isn't that the question that so many struggle with? Christ makes audacious claims as to who he is and what his way represents. And the question for many is, what makes you say that? What makes you so right? How can you be the only way? For those that are unwilling to see the signs, there can be no satisfactory explanation or answer. Christ didn't engage them in a heated debate. He didn't flip open or scroll back, I guess, to the Old Testament passages that pointed to what he was doing and the things that were mentioned about him. He didn't use any of those things. He just said, if you cannot see this, then I'm not even going to tell you by what authority I do these things. He picked John. Isn't that interesting? John, the one who Christ himself said, did no miracles. But he spoke truth. And it says that truth was like a bright and shining light. A light that anyone could see. John had no ulterior motives. He wasn't doing it to be elected president. He wasn't doing it for some financial gain. He wasn't even doing it on a dare. Here was a man who comes out of the wilderness dressed in shabby camel skin with a leathern girdle, not even eating decent food, eating bugs and honey. Kind of sounds like a modern diet now for what they're talking about, but anyway. Locusts and wild honey, that was it. Drinking from brooks living among the wild beasts. His hair, I'm sure, was a sight to behold. In today's day and age, we call him crazy, this wild man from the desert. But what he said, his message, I don't know how it happened. You know, it's, it's amazing. John shows up, and suddenly the multitudes come to hear him. What happened? He had no PR campaign. No one was doing reaction videos to John's message or something like that that got people interested. The shocking truth of John. You know, nowadays we're so used to instant communication. How did people hear? The truth, when it's spoken to a heart that's open, cuts right down to the core of who you are. 
When someone tells you the truth about yourself, that's arresting. That stops you in your tracks. When he tells you things about yourself that you wish nobody else knew. Do you remember the words of the woman at the well? He told me all that ever I did. That's the power of the word of God. Someone asked me once, why do you believe? Why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe in God and Jesus? You've never seen them. We don't even have uh, photographic evidence that he ever was here. How can you prove it? And my answer is, because I've come across no other book, no other religion that tells me the truth about myself in such an unvarnished way. It goes right to the center of my being and tells me why. Why, on one hand, I desire and admire the noble and the good, but on the other, I end up doing the evil and the wicked and the, and the despicable things. It explains me to myself. And anything that can do that, anything that can tell truth on that sort of a level, I better pay attention. And every time I've been able to test his word, whether it's against the historical record or what I see around myself in creation or even the way my mind works, it's proven to be true again and again and again. Consider for a moment that when Christ was teaching, there were those that still believed in the pantheon of the Roman gods. There were those in Egypt that were still embalming mummies and tucking them away in caves in the hopes that there would be some kind of an afterlife and putting in little statues. You can go to the Rom and see little statues of, of farm animals and servants in the expectation that this was kind of like their eternal 401k or, or RRSP, that you know this is going to be the thing that I draw on in the next life. Like, it seems so ludicrous. And yet they were contemporary with what Christ taught. And here we are some 2,000 years later, gathered around this living word, hearing it speak to our hearts, as we heard this morning, touching us in the deepest part of our being and telling us what needs to change. Sophisticated 21st century men and women. By what authority? You decide. What's working for you? What have you found that's worth living and dying for? That's tough. You can seek experiences. You can seek for thrills and for pleasure. You can create your bucket list. But at the end of your bucket list, after you've checked every single one of those things off, you'll find an empty bucket. It won't be enough. It'll never be enough. Because you are more than just molecules. God breathed into the nostrils of our first father. And he became a living soul. A soul that lives and will live on, independent of these bodies that will fall away one day. The irony, of course, is that those 
men, whether it's Pilate and his soldiers or the chief priests and their followers, we're all trying so desperately to hang on to power and ended up losing it all. So many sleepless nights, perhaps, devoted to trying to bring down this Nazarene or hold the Jews from rebelling or keeping up with the political intrigue of Rome. Now, it's all dust. doesn't matter. But the kingdom of God continues to grow. It may not always be observable for us, When we look around ourselves on a sleepy Sunday afternoon with the benches half full, it doesn't look like an advancing kingdom. But remember, you're not seeing things properly when you're looking through earthly eyes. There's more going on. The kingdom of God is still advancing. And those things that Christ taught are still true, even though some of them have not yet been fulfilled. And the trauma that burned these events into the minds of those disciples some 2,000 years ago served as the, as the launch pad for this new kingdom. And it spread, and it continues to spread, as we heard this morning as well in the closing. If we chase after perishable things, if we only want to look through things like perhaps some of the disciples did from an earthly perspective, thinking that they were going, they were, they were on the leading edge of a, of a new a regime change, and a new political reality. You're probably not seeing things as God sees them. Because in God's economy, everything is upside down from what the world expects. Even here in the church, I heard it said once, it really gave me pause. It said, if you're really spiritual, you'll pray that God will do something amazing through you and somebody else will get the credit. That really gave me pause. I thought, wow. Wow. That I could do something and rejoice in the fact that somebody else gets the credit for it. Yes, I can see how that's a mark now of one who's great in the eyes of God. You know that into that final week, all through Christ's ministry, as he teaches, there are those who try to pin him down as to who he is, what he's about. There were the Pharisees who said, how long do you make us to doubt? Tell us plainly. And Christ didn't give a straight answer to them. The ones he gave a straight answer were to the ones that didn't matter in the world's eyes. The Syrophoenician woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, he told them who he was, but he never committed himself to the, to the mob. It wasn't until he was finally taken by the authorities, when there could be no way out, earthly speaking, that he said, I am he. I'm the one. And then he died and resurrected to show that he was indeed the one. 
Will you follow him? It will mean upsetting all of your plans. It'll mean reevaluating every part of your life and its ambitions. You see, faith in Christ can't be experimented with. As long as you have a back door, a way out, if things go south, nothing will happen. But for those that will throw themselves on him, throw themselves on that rock, they will indeed be broken. But they'll be remade into something far, far better. That's the promise of our Lord. Don't be fooled by the things of this world. The things that were popular and important 2,000 years ago are long gone. But for that preacher from Galilee who came as it were out of nowhere, his kingdom continues to grow. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Amen. Would our brother please select a
We're going to do things a little bit differently today. Normally we have a prayer first and then the benediction at the end. I'd like to have the benediction now. And uh, because of the occasion, a lot of things went through my mind um, throughout this day. We're really blessed today with two messages that were very pointed and uh, timely for how we need to view the grace of God and who God is, his goodness to us. We are saved not because we are good, but because God is good. And um, a few things went through my mind as we've been studying the book of Matthew at CFG. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've had chapter 16, 17. I don't think we've done 18 yet, but we did 19. Today, we went through 19. And in those three chapters that we studied, in every single chapter, Jesus was forecasting his death, was telling the people, now was the time, before he told them to not say things or not to spread certain miracles that he had performed, but now is the time. And as we heard this afternoon, the last week before Jesus died, about one-third of the gospel, gospels are written on that last week. That's how important it was. That was the focus of history. In chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus said, I will build my church. And that brought me back to what Brother Josiah said as a young boy still that because of what God did, had done for him in healing him as a young lad, he wants to build God six churches. Now, that's a very noble cause to want to build God's six churches. And I'm sure he understood that as building the physical churches, the buildings. And God, Jesus said, I will build my church, which was the spiritual body but we are housed in this beautiful building here because love and, and TLC, they call it, was put into this church to renovate it to a place where we feel very blessed and to worship every Sunday. When someone makes a statement like that, I want to build God's, I want to build six churches, it, it shows that there's a vision that he has or a dream that he wants to fulfill and it's noble and so brother uh, Josiah as as much as you had this this vision or dream in you as a young boy it doesn't mean you cannot be fulfilled in that way or in other ways as we have heard in your testimony which was given to us by your parents that you've gone through a long struggle many challenges in your life yet God was faithful to you and God was faithful to, you, to your parents and faithful to us all he heard the prayers and God has plans for every one of us God has a will for us in our lives as you have been in this church for many years, 
we've been blessed by your presence with us, but now we have to say farewell. It doesn't mean that you will stop doing what you are doing. It means that God will use you in other places and in other ways to further his kingdom. And as we heard this afternoon concerning, you know, we are a small group here, but we have to remember also that every single member on the body of Christ is important. Every single member, even the uncomely ones, if you will, as it says in Corinthians. Those that don't seem too important, those that don't seem the major organs of the body, but we're all important. And our prayer is that you, Brother Josiah, and you, Sister Laura, will be used in a, a wonderful way in Beverly Hills, in Michigan, and in the ICFG maybe, I'm not sure if you're continuing in that area too, but in the future. But in many ways, God can use you and you can be a blessing and be blessed through that. So that's our prayer for you. Uh, it's hard to say goodbye, but it must be done. Let's not say goodbye, let's say farewell, because we'd like to see you here many times in the future to be blessed and to bless as you come and go between us and we with you to, to Beverly Hills. So in, in having said that, God bless you. Uh, give our greetings to your congregation in Beverly Hills, to your families, to, your, to the loved ones there, and God be with you until we meet again. Let's all uh, kneel for a prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee that you have been faithful, that you have been so good to us. And we realize, Lord, over and over again that when we go through life's difficult trials, they are meant to bring us closer to you and closer to one another. And we thank thee for the memories. We thank thee for the blessings through those memories. And we pray that it will all redound to your glory. Thou, the Father that knows best. O oh Lord, you have through these challenges in Josiah's life helped us to learn how to pray more fervently how to support one another and show love and grace and truth to one another as you have showed it to us through Christ your son father we pray that through these difficulties and trials that the family has gone and the church with them that we may go stronger grow stronger for the next one that through it all your church that you are building will become purer and whiter as a bride ready for her husband without wrinkle without spot without blemish that through it all we would each 
and every one of us individually become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that we will one day meet again, if not here on this earth, as this song would, would say, but in the courts of glory, where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, but eternal joy and bliss for those that are thine. O Lord God in heaven, be with our dear brother Josiah and sister Laura. May their union contain and include thee, the living God, that this threefold cord would not be easily broken. Father, we pray that you would bless them and that they would be a light and a glory to you, that they would be the salt of the earth, the light of the world in the area in which they live, and that we could rejoice together with them. Bless their families, give grace to their parents, especially the ones that are staying behind, that they would be able to accept and, and support the departure of their son but know also that they have gained will be gaining a daughter and that their family will be strengthened and grow in number as well be with us father dismiss us lord with your blessing for we pray and ask all of these things in the name of our blessed savior and redeemer the lord jesus christ amen